This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hello and welcome. My name is Michael Gewurzman. I'm the Global Vice President of Programming here at Advertising Week, and I'd like to thank our virtual audience for joining us today. I'm really excited about this session. It's something we do every year. It's a conversation that we call Ahead of the Curve, and it's exactly that. We identify someone who throughout the course of their career has been consistently ahead of the curve. I really can't think of anyone better to have this conversation with than Gary Vee. And so Gary Vaynerchuk, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. I'm humbled and honored. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So let's go all the way back. You got your start actually stocking shelves at your parents' liquor store. And in 96, you rebranded, renamed it, and you launched one of the first and, and certainly one of the most successful uh, e-commerce liquor stores in the country at the time. This is really early in the dot-com kind of bubble and boom, um, but it worked out for you. So back then when everyone was doing it and you, you stood out, what, what's the biggest takeaway you had from then and what's the lesson that really sticks out even today from back then? That, that became the first grown-up uh, example of my intuition of what people were gonna do even though smarter, older, wealthier, more accomplished people told me that they weren't. That was the first example, if I'm recapping it, that I could point to that said, in a big boy version, I was right, the incumbents were not. And the reason I say big boy, prior to that, I had been doing you know, a lot of things from age 11 to 21 in sports cards, comic books, collectible toys, and I made a lot of decisions during that 10 year window that were countercultural to what people thought. I sold my entire baseball card collection six months before the market crashed and put it into comics and collectible toys and those markets exploded. That was the first young boy version of me being wildly right when people were like, why are you selling cards? It's the hottest. And all of that on both scenarios, my friend, came down to me watching real people at scale instead of trying to look at reports or, or, and here's a big one for a lot of people on this stream or watching this video, um, I didn't allow where I was making money to dictate what I thought was gonna happen tomorrow. That's a big one. I, even though I was making a lot of money, a couple thousand bucks a weekend in sports cards, which by the way, still feels like a trillion, I, I still don't make that kind of money. Um, uh, I was like, these people are not as interested. The fever's gone. People are talking more about Star Wars and Spider-Man than Frank Thomas and Ken Griffey. I'm feeling something. Half my class that was into cards isn't anymore and it's not just because they're into girls now like because they're still into video games. Like I just, and I do that all the time. It's how I do everything to, to this day. So in 96, that was really betting the farm. I asked my dad for $15,000 to build winelibrary.com. That felt like a trillion just to give everyone context on a small business for something that seemed, that'd be like asking, a company today, a small business for like $200,000 to build a metaverse, right? It just seemed crazy. The reason the dot-com thing felt right, whereas I wouldn't ask a small business to build a metaverse for 200K today, was I felt we were close enough to people actually buying wine on the internet. And, um, and, and that's how I saw it. And I thought the internet thing was gonna be the biggest thing. And, uh, and that was because I was watching people, not just my friends, but I noticed my friend's mom created email to email her son at college. And then I would listen and I would hear that his mom said now she's emailing with her sister. 
and they're 47, and this is 1996, I'm like, huh, like, there's things I hear that people do that very quickly my chemicals tell me everyone's gonna do that, not just them, and that was that example, and that has become the formula of my career. Um, Listen to real people every day, don't let the way I'm making my money or how I hope to make my money uh, or my success or my, or my joy, right? Some people don't do things because they don't like it. It doesn't matter if I don't like posting pictures on Instagram. People want to consume pictures on Instagram. My family took 25 photos in our lifetime. <laughs> like we were a non-photo family. So Instagram was hard for me. I mean it. The thought of taking a picture is just to this day is foreign. So um, that's how I think about it. Almost a decade in, around February 2006, give or take, you, you start Wine Library TV. You're on YouTube pretty much daily for around five years doing these long form episodics. You on camera, something that people really weren't doing back. I mean, this is months to maybe a year after YouTube launches, right? So you're really early in that game um, and you're doing it by yourself. You're, you're consistently telling people, especially people who are posting videos, don't worry about your audience, don't worry about your likes, don't worry about your subscribers. So what was this experience like for you early on, just one guy talking to a camera back then? That was the biggest, mo- That February 20th, 2006, it, or 21st, I always get confused, I think it's 21st. That was, um, that's probably one of the most significant business days of my life, right? Um, I say business because I think so much of what makes me work is realizing Family and real life is real life and business, even though I'm passionate about it and people know I'm passionate about it, is a very different, is a game in a lot of ways. But it was one most, it may be top three most significant business days of my life because I'm 30 years old at this point and there's not a thought in my mind that ever is thinking that anybody on earth is going to know who I am outside of the wine and spirits. Or I did have bigger aspirations, but business people, right? Like, business stuff, not like normal people knowing who I am. And that started the journey of normal people knowing who I am and it started the journey of me enjoying communicating around complicated subjects. Wine is very complex. It's extremely intimidating. Most of the people watching right now don't drink as much wine as they could be because it is a little too intimidating. They actually think they have to know something to even drink it, which is something we don't do in many other categories of consumption. So demystifying wine was a huge thing for me because remember, I'm 30 now. I've been building this big business for my dad for the last eight years. I want all my 20-year-old friends to care about it and none of them, brother, could care about it. There wasn't 20-year-olds in the late 90s, early 2000s that could give a crap about wine. It's much cooler now. The NBA, I think, has made it cooler. Sideways, the movie came along. A lot of things, two-buck chuck, a million things happened that made wine more interesting for 20-year-olds. But Outside of highly wealthy, generational wealthy kids in their 20s, almost no other 20 year old paid attention to wine, like real wine, not like Franzi in a box or something like that, right? So I wanted to demystify it and I learned so much. The comments, uh, long form video, creative, I learned a lot about myself which was I was a captivated communicator and I later built on that to create opportunities. that was one of the great learning, and I'll tell you what I really learned. From episode one on, and I, we actually just did this as a team, we cut a clip where I kind of, I made the first episode thinking I was gonna do QVC. A couple minutes into the episode, I realized I was doing 1970s, 1950s news, when news used to be a public service product, not an entertainment product. 
And so I thought I was going in with the most selfish intent. Episode one of Wine Library TV was built to sell wine on the internet. I was gonna do QVC. I'm gonna take wines, I'm gonna tell you what to buy. Immediately within the first episode, within the first 10 minutes, within the first five minutes, I think you just did the one, right? Within the first five minutes, you could see me kind of look to the side and I, can, and I didn't recall when I did it, but then the team just showed me the video. I, I was like, uh-oh, I need to review wine and bring them value, not me value, and I gotta tell them the truth because I don't love every wine we sell. And by the way, that doesn't mean that I'm right because everyone has a different palate. And it took the show to the stratosphere. People were, like, people were flabbergasted that I was the owner of this store selling these wines and telling people not to buy the wine. My dad is still my dad is still flabbergasted that I did that. <laughs> you uh, you were talking about Instagram before and kind of the difficulties you were having. You're all over every social media platform always, and you you're really good at differentiating the content per platform. So how do you go about differentiating per audience? And and I hope there are connections. Is there is there a specific platform? that's delivered the strongest return on your investment of time and resources for you? The reason that the lat, I'll go to the latter one, here's why it's so hard for my career and this is why I'm so humbled to be here. This is what's good about having receipts. I was early and fast and hard on all of them. I was a big YouTuber in 06, 07. I was one of the first people to have a million followers on Twitter in 2007, 8, right? Instagram, TikTok, like, when, when TikTok was musically, I was making content for Madison Avenue, let alone my fan base of like, get on this. So they've all been massive for me because I land grabbed the attention early by not only being there early, but being good at the creative contextual for it. To your point, my garage sale videos on TikTok are doing much better than they're doing on Facebook because there's a lot of 15, 16 year olds that do wanna make an extra 50 bucks and learn the game and and so they love that. They think it's silly, they think it's crazy that somebody who you know, seemingly has some wealth on paper still wants to garage sale. So they find that funny and that's interesting there. Whereas on LinkedIn, I'm making content for this audience, right? I wanna talk, I, I'm a very weird agency owner. I kind of root I wouldn't say rude. That's, um, I definitely don't feel like I'm competing with AKQA or or Wyden and Kennedy or Crispin or Hor- Bill from Horizon. I hope he builds a truck. Like I kind of think everyone who's good is gonna get theirs. I don't think like, yeah, sure, I may lose a pitch to Droga, but, but Droga's not stopping Vayner from being successful. And Vayner's not stopping Droga from being successful. And so I have a very interesting relationship with my content on LinkedIn. A lot of my teammates actually struggle sometimes when they think I'm giving away too much too soon. And and I just don't see it that way. A, I think all of our companies have different cultures. So it's hard to, you know, it's as hard as it is for me to buy outdoor media, because it's not in my DNA, it's not so easy to be prolific and contextual social creative for a shop that was built on making television. So A, I think it's hard for all of us to incorporate things, but B, even if they could, I think karma goes a long way. So when I'm making LinkedIn, I'm thinking about Madison Avenue CEOs and trying to leave some legacy on maybe helping them and like over a drink a can in five years, them saying thank you, which would make me feel good. On TikTok, I'm thinking about 15 year old entrepreneurs. On Instagram, I'm thinking about 25 to 40 year old, you know, like kind of like, I call it like in pocket, like just kind of like the masses right now. So like they all work so differently and I think about it this way, you, right? You consuming my content, you yourself, you're the same person. 
you consuming my content on LinkedIn, you are in a different psychological place when you decide to consume content on LinkedIn than when you're on TikTok. On TikTok, you are in the mindset of passive entertainment. You're, you're channel surfing. On LinkedIn, you're probably in a place of business-oriented objectives, either learning or networking. I've gotta show up differently, just like I have to show up differently for my kids than I have to do for my buddies on Sunday at the Jets game. I gotta be parking lot tailgate jet fan Gary there, and I gotta be father Gary you know, hours earlier the day before, and then I gotta be this Gary here, and for my mom, I'm son Gary. And so I don't understand how this industry continues to underestimate the power of context and overvalue subjective content. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk executive Gary then, right? So you, you mentioned all the creatives and the agencies. VaynerMedia has had tons of brands that you've worked with and a lot of really memorable campaigns. When a brand exec comes into your offices for the very first time for one of those creative meetings, what's the first thing you say to them or, or the first question that you ask right out the gate? Um, that's a fun question. The, the first thing I'll say, the, first, the, the thing I always ask them is, what, what are we trying to accomplish and are you scoring that in a common sense real life way or are you doing that in a corporate way? So that's the big, big elephant in the room with us, which is like, your brand lift study can't be the KPI because those are flawed. Like, like what are we doing here? Um, impressions on social media is not a good proxy. The cost of, your, you know, of, of the impressions on digital is not the KPI, but we continue to make these mistakes in the industry. The thing I say to them is Vayner is the biggest enigma in this industry because we sell a process to get to the best ideas, not we sell the best ideas. That is, Michael, that is very different, my friend. This is not, we have great casting and, you know, and Kat and Jackie, one of my favorite creative teams, Nadia, a new unbelievable creative, Aaron Howe, who's crushing in, in, uh, or in, in LA, or VJ, who's doing, who just moved from our APAC office to, to the UK, EMEA. These are incredibly talented people. And, and this industry, all these, incredible shops that I admire, Wyden and Droga and 72 and Sunny, loaded with incredible talent to come up with ideas. But I think the industry has not been fair in realizing that the process to get to these ideas and how they're distributed have not been effective now for a decade against the cost that was associated to make that happen. And so we sell a process, the thing I say to them, my friend, is. If you come to work with Vayner, it's not about the, it's about the work, it's about the ideas, but we don't do that subjectively up front in boardrooms. We have a process to do that with consumers in social that extract them from that process. That is the upside down part of this industry that we do very differently. And as you can imagine, that means people either really like it or really struggle with it. And we're very empathetic and we've been very patient with the industry the last 13 years. I do think that we're starting to build some momentum because the truth is undefeated. You go into kind of the personal brand space a bit also, there's products kind of associated with your name. So whether yes. it's Empathy Wines or the, the K-Swiss you know, sneaker line, what's most important to you when you're taking a product and you're putting your name on it? That I believe in what I'm selling. Yeah. You know, I think I've been a great salesman my whole life because I don't sell things that I don't believe in. You know, I believe that Empathy Wines is 
a dramatically better $20 wine than most $20 wines in the market. I know that because I know the sources of the grapes and things of that nature. But I also think that Maggie, who I adore sitting here, she may like a $7 wine better than Empathy. That's okay. You know, but I think, to, and this is actually, Michael, I'll be honest with you. This is actually where I've had a little bit of, I don't have a whole lot of problems with the people in the industry, right? Even though we were like renegades and people would razz me. I always understood. But the one thing that did always bother me is, you know, after four glasses of wine, mainly rosé at Cannes, a lot of these people who would publicly post nasty things about me or razz me in meetings would kind of get just tipsy enough to say, you're onto something or you're right. And I would ask them, it was always, that's always so nice. So I'm incredibly, I try to be remarkably gracious in those moments. Because I think all the things that have worked for me is the byproduct of my parents and the luck of my DNA draw. So I don't get too high on my Gary V supply. I, I say to them, I'm like, why are you selling something you don't believe in? And I know the answer. People have lives and they have, this is what, where they find themselves and they have mortgages and kids. Like, you know, I get it, but there's so many people that could be doing other things outside of Madison Avenue. Now with us, I think there'll be a lot of copycatting of us in the next decade, so there'll be alternatives, but like, you know, what's most important to me? That I believe in it. Like, I believe that I am going to build one of the most significant intellectual properties of all time. I really believe that. I really believe that Practical Peacock can be like Lisa Simpson one day. I really believe that. And so, as you can imagine, that gives me the energy to go so hard, to believe, like I'm really into it. And so you've got to believe in what you, you know, I believe the K-Swiss sneaker at that $40 price range is as good of an alternative as another sneaker. And if you choose to like believe in the mission statement of the sneakers, which is be kind, be practical, you know, if you see something in front of you that you want, it's gonna take work ethic, not burning out, but work ethic, you know, and things like that. So I always believe in the stuff I sell, the Gary Vee stuff. I believe that my mom is the greatest mom of all time. I believe that. I believe other moms have come along that tie my mom because they also are 100% about their children but also not delusional and keep it in this great mix of like self-esteem building but not entitlement building which is impossible. Trust me, I don't think I'm good at it with my kids, I get it. It's hard. Um, So I believe in the things that I talk about, patience and kindness but I do believe in tenacity and, and competition. So I, I live in this world, and I'll use America, I live in this world that is desperately trying to make the world about red or blue, and every day pushes more red or blue, and I know the answer is purple, right? Look at me, yeah. I, I, as a marketing proxy, I think the Super Bowl is the number one ad in marketing, the best ad you can buy, right? Even though I'm very anti-other television. I'm gonna get destroyed if I don't ask you about NFTs. People are just gonna, <laughs> they're gonna rip on. People are waiting for you to talk about it, right? Crypto, NFTs, they were on the edge of their seats waiting for you and you kind of, you took your time a little bit, right? You kind of paused and said, just hold on, like give, give me a little time, let me feel it out. But all roads led to the friends, right? Yes. And what I really like about it and what I think people like about it is that it's not just a, a collectible photo, right? No. There's application, there's access to it. Vcon. Tell us about vFriends, yeah. how it kind of came to be and also, what are you most excited about with NFTs beyond their current implementation right now? Pets.com was worth $85 billion 
when it went public in 1999 or an eight or seven or 2000, or some staggering number, I might be slightly off an 85, but like the number was just incomprehensible. And because of that and all the other companies, they all went to zero, except for Amazon, PayPal, right? Couple that were there, eBay. That excites me about NFTs right now. One of the reasons I haven't been completely torched in society is because I made ungodly amounts of content last year around this time saying 99% of NFTs were gonna go to zero. Even though I was the macro advocate, and I'll get to that in a minute, in the micro I saw the behavior was deja vu of internet stocks. What am I most excited about? Is that Chewy.com is one of the biggest companies brewing, right? It's a huge business. Why? Because it's pets.com 20 years later. The internet was the biggest thing. The companies that were built on 96, 7, 8, 9 got overvalued. The NFTs are going to be one of the biggest consumer technology shifts ever. A decentralized server that can fully and 100% guarantee transactional authority in a decentralized way is going to do to transactions what the internet did for communication. It just needs a few minutes to get there. It's a, it's a you know, and so uh, what am I most excited about? I'm most excited about Madison Square Garden over there, that my tickets are not QR codes or a piece of paper like I had for Kygo last night. A piece of paper. It's going to be a NFT Kygo limited edition thing and I'll get in and in 20 years, um, I can sell it for 19 bucks and that's cool and MSG and Kygo will get a piece of the royalty or Kygo and MSG will say it's a 25th anniversary concert and everybody who still has the original NFT from 25 years ago gets to come in three hours early and do a special. Like People don't understand that once the infrastructure exists, the best companies and the best actors can do the best things. We just lived through the first year where the worst actors did things. Everybody tried to sell a quick scam and like everybody was so, mo- money gets you confused real fast. And so people were coming in quick, quick, quick. But what I'm most excited about is actually the blockchain will allow for incredible behavior from the issuers if they have good intent. One of the reasons I did VCon for three years in a row to launch vFriends was I knew that if there was a lot of volatility in the value of the vFriend, that the original issuing price was worth going to vCon for three years. And that's why my project is doing well because people actually have other utilitarian value in the smart contract, it's not just a collectible. Now, my work for the next 50 years is to make these characters so famous that people do want to buy that original NFTs, no different than buying the first edition of Batman comic book or the first Charizard Pokemon or, you know, and so I come from a collector background. I'm gonna work very hard in making toys, comic books, books, movies, TV shows, pillowcases, candy, cereal, vitamins. You know, like I'm showing my cards. And what's most exciting for me, Michael, is through my work with vFriends, I'm gonna be able to show our industry like contemporary marketing works. And so yeah. it's, it's fun for me. The reason I always have businesses like Empathy, like my dad's wine store, like vFriends is I wanna stay sharp as an operator so that I can give the best advice to our clients. I take a lot of pride that unlike my contemporaries who are CEOs of agencies, 
I'm actually making content every day. I actually do have a personal brand. I do run businesses that run the marketing that I sell. You've always been one to embrace mistakes. Yes. Um, you talk about this. What would you say is the biggest mistake that you've made that's led to the most positive lesson learned? The way I ran Vayner Media from 2000, what are we in, 22? 19, from 2015 to 19, I, I sensed that we were gonna get big and I just started hiring unlimited people from the outside and did a terrible job putting those players in a position to succeed because of my lack of candor. I actually hate negativity, which confuses some people because they find me aggressive. I get excited because I turn a little bit into like a wrestling promoter on video, but like, like I think I'm Macho Man Randy Savage, but I actually am incredibly non-confrontational which is actually a strong weakness of leaders um, in public persona against, you know, against what I don't think the industry is doing. I'm quite confrontational, but like to my to Maggie or Andrew or Dustin, no way. And that was a weakness. So I hired a ton of people from the outside. I didn't create training for them to teach the Vayner way, and I was incapable of giving them feedback as they were taking us further and further away. In the name of let's see what the outside world does so I can test it and then adjust for VaynerMedia 3.0. Mm-hmm. So, what, so why is that the answer? In 2019 I'm like, uh-oh, this is getting away from me. I feel like we're just like a bad version of all these people I admire. We're not ourselves and social's getting more important, not less. Damn it, I need to like go all the way back to 2009, Gary, and I started doing that, and then COVID hit, which gave me a ton of time to lean into all my leaders, and it is now profound. I mean, I am downright scared how well-positioned we are for the next wave of how big brands are gonna market, both in how they spend their media and do their creative, and it all happened because of the mistake of 15 to 19. And it wasn't a catastrophic mistake. We grew every year from 15 to 19. We just weren't us or me. We weren't me. Yeah. And, and so we're the most me right now that we've been through since 2011. That's the truth. Vayner today, and we're at scale, is the most me since 2011. And boy oh boy do I see it showing up in people's happiness. Uh, in our winning of business, in our retention of business, and I'm, I'm really excited. And, and what's way cooler, Michael, than 2009 or 2011 is the world is ready to understand the biggest truth, which is the elephant in the room in Madison Avenue, which is brand is built in social through scaled relevance to many more consumer segmentations than television and programmatic digital has been able to afford us, and that the creative variable to put into those pipes and a modern comms plan, not based on impressions and GRPs, is required. And that is an atomic bomb to what we've been taught for the last 40 years. And I believe that I am stunned by how many CMOs and more importantly, CEOs of these companies are starting to get to that realization. And that is gonna be the great reset of this industry, I think, of the next decade. Take notes, everyone. Um, you mentioned negativity before, and I kind of want to go back to, we have, we have time for like one or two more questions, and I, I really wanted to ask you this one, because you're a really polarizing figure, and you've also said, 
people will have very strong opinions about you either way, and you're really good with the negative, right? There's the positive, people love you, and there's the negative. You're very empathetic with people, you always talk about that. Have you always been that way? And if not, how did you get to that point? And then most importantly for me, isn't even, and I do want to focus on, you know, the people who are yeah. saying things, but I also want to talk about imposter syndrome, because I think yeah. even worse than that is kind yeah. of that self-negativity also. How do you get through that too? I've. This is all, you know, I'm glad I brought her up earlier because it's the answer. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, everything that I've done wrong, I take full blame for and everything I've done right, I give full credit to my parents <laughs> and my circumstance and America at the right time for a Russian boy. Like, it just all, like, and, and what does that all lead to? Deep gratitude. Look at all these things that I had nothing to do with that I believe are the pillars of my happiness and joy. How do you not lead with gratitude so when people are mad at me, A, 90% of it is, in our industry, 99% of it's crystal clear to why they would say it. It's affecting their personal finances. Like, if, you know, of course, if Gary Vee goes and does an A&A and is curse leading, like that TV commercials are overpriced and your entire agency buys or makes TV commercials and I'm abrasive, like I'm in my, Chris Rock, Macho Man, like, I, you know, if I'm sitting there and I'm that person, of course this is not gonna land. Who does he think he is? He's got no clue, naive, you know, like, I get it, whatever. I don't like him. What I'm incredibly proud of is many people who've publicly and privately razzed me, when I get to actually know them and spend an hour with them, we have an incredible, joyful relationship going forward and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of who I am because I think it's an indication of my parenting. And I'm empathetic when people don't like me because I have strong convictions and I think the industry is underperforming for what, I, I, I deeply believe that the majority of agencies are too expensive to the clients for what they're providing. I believe that to be true. I, I don't think that anybody's bad. I don't think these are bad people. I don't think they're not smart. I actually think some of them are incredibly smart at the tippy tops to why they're doing it. Um, but. Yeah, that's my belief system. I, I don't know how not to articulate it. But yeah, I, you know, and then imposter syndrome, like I don't, in reverse, I don't believe my own hype. I don't think I'm special. I, when You know, some people are like, you're a scam artist and other people, you're the goat. I don't believe either because neither are true and I just stay in my lane and do my thing and try to do the best I can. And, and Michael, look, this is an important moment for me. Like an interview like this is completely predicated on being right. Right? I don't get invited to this interview if I haven't been right for the last 20 years. So whether I try to defend myself or I succumb to people's negativity or positivity, it's completely irrelevant. The receipts are gonna speak for themselves. The receipts are gonna speak. So either I'm right or I'm wrong. And so I can live with that and I try not to be wrong which is why I do things that are controversial. You think the NFT land liked me when I was in the height of the height of the height last summer saying 99% are going to zero, I got bombarded by people like, yo, why are you, what are you, like, you're supposed to be the biggest advocate. I am the biggest advocate, but I'm not an advocate for a JPEG that has no utility, you know, and it's not a JPEG because that's the internet, an image. I'm not for a collectible that has no affinity yet being worth $50,000. I'm for a Spider-Man rare thing that's done work for 50 years, be worth 50, I understand 16, 16 to 60,000 people want it. So I will speak whatever I believe 
and let the receipts fall where they may. I'm not worried about somebody's opinion about me when it's completely predicated on their own self-interest. Well, keep speaking your truth, I, and, and everyone appreciates it. I wish I could speak to you forever. We, we, we're out of time. I could have spoken forever, but um, thank you for doing this. It's an honor and a pleasure. I think something that you say that's, that's so important is that the most important thing to becoming wildly successful that people don't think about is just being a nice person. I believe it. I, you can be successful and, and, by being and, a nice person. And can I be nice for a second, Michael? Yeah. This industry has some of the nicest, smartest, most creative people I've ever met. The consolidation and the deep ideology of the past is suppressing a lot of it. All my jargon, I'm gonna be successful regardless if I close me. I won before I got here. I won before I got here. I am gonna be here and I'm gonna do my thing, but I desperately want other people to win as well. And a lot of the energy I bring to this industry is because I think it's a beautiful industry, but I think you know what I'm about to say has a lot of truth. There's just not enough people that love it in our industry. The, the happiness meter of agency life day to day isn't high enough. And I play outside of this world and see other industries, other sectors, it can be better. And I think it starts with how we interact with each other competitively, how we interact with our team, uh, eliminating fear of client feedback, and, and just, just we just have to do some different things. We, we can get there, this industry can get there. We can be more creative, we can be happier, we can be much more civil to each other. I think it could be great and I, um, and I, I fight for that.